Uh, greetings and welcome to the Capital Weekly Podcast. My name is John Howard, and I am joined by my colleague, as usual, Tim Foster. Hi, John. And our special guest today is Jeff Miller, president of Western Dental. And we're going to talk about teeth today and assorted other things. Jeff, thank you so much for being here. Thank you both for having me. There's a lot going on with dentistry, obviously. In Sacramento, though, one of the issues that crops up year over year is the, is the politics of dentistry as it relates to Medi-Cal. Medi-Cal patients, reimbursements, uh, how many are out there, how many people are getting their dentistry through Medi-Cal. Do you have any sense, uh, sense of that, sort of an update on that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Medi-Cal is obviously such a hugely important program for the health of Californians and, you know, probably 13 to 14 million uh, are, coveraged, are covered. Uh, one thing that a lot of folks uh, don't know is that your Medi-Cal coverage um, covers not only physical health, but uh, oral health. So everybody who is enrolled in Medi-Cal has uh, dental coverage. One of the issues um, on, uh, on the physician side as it related to Medi-Cal was reimbursement. They, they didn't meet the threshold that the physicians thought they should have met. In many cases, they were delayed. So a physician would provide the services and maybe not get paid for two or three months or whatever it might be. Uh, and that caused a lot of political tension here over time. What's the situation with, with dentists now in terms of reimbursements through the Medi-Cal program? Yeah, uh, John, if you'd allow me to kind of go backwards before going forward, just set a kind of a quick historical context uh, for the what used to be known as Dentical. It's now known as the Medi-Cal Dental Program. Um, so quickly, sort of the 90s into around 2014, you had this uh, steady decline of providers willing to participate in the program. Uh, and one of the reasons for that was that um, California was 49th out of 50 states in terms of its Medicaid dental reimbursement rates. Um, then you had the recession in, you know, 08 that led to an elimination of adult dental benefits. A lot of people don't know that, but the Medi-Cal program removed dental benefits for adults from 20, uh, 2009 to 2014. Um, you have this uh, with a backdrop of ACA expansion. So Medicaid uh, is available to more folks. Um, and then the light is shined on it in 2014 and 15 with the state auditor's report and the little Hoover Commission inquiry uh, that basically is questioning whether or not the program is serving those it was intended to care for. And really at the center of this was inadequate access for children. Uh, and you had kids that you know were in the program but just not seeing uh, providers. Um, I think the good news is now you fast forward to where we you know talking to each other today and we have a vastly different program uh, adult benefits were restored partially in 2014, fully in 2018. There was a five-year program, um, a joint state-federal program called the Dental Transformation Initiative that injected $750 million to address uh, access to children's oral health care. Uh, and then something that your listeners probably are aware of is that in uh, late 2016, Prop 56, the uh, tobacco tax initiative uh, was enacted, right? And that was, um, you know, sort of a collaboration where folks in the provider community, 
um, ourselves, California Dental Association, California Medical Association, but then also advocacy groups like Health Access, um, and the administration and the legislator, legislators came together and um, figured out a funding mechanism so that those reimbursement rates could be increased to reasonable levels that would then attract providers to participate in the program. Uh, and that's happened, whereas we were seeing, you know, only a small percentage of providers licensed in the state seeing, um, you know, Medi-Cal, enrolling in Medi-Cal and seeing patients. Now we see a much um, larger share uh, which has increased access. How, how do you think the uh, uh, the impact of the of the pandemic on dentistry? How did that play out in California? Yeah, great question. Uh, obviously, many dentist offices were uh, forced to close, um, and you know that time in sort of March two thousand and on that summer, that was a difficult time. It was, I think, we had to close almost all of our two hundred fifty. Uh, California locations other than for emergency uh, purposes. I think a lot of other dentists uh, in the industry were forced to do uh, the same. Uh, and that had an impact on patients throughout the state. Um, by the end of that year, I think most offices were open. Um, but what I can tell you, John, is that um, we've seen sort of a gradual return to care, not just everyone back coming and, you know, getting on the same routine of seeing their dentist uh, once or twice a year. And that's, that's gonna have some uh, ramifications. We're still sitting here in 2022, probably at maybe 90% of the patient volume we've seen historically. Do you see any increase in the use of virtual dentistry doing, obviously you can't do root canals over the air, but you can, people can talk to each other. This has happened in other piece of the medical profession. You zoom in by a Zoom link or FaceTime or something, you talk to each other that way. We were using that uh, for emergency triage. I mean, I think it is useful in those cases, and I think it has applications uh, in rural areas for sure. But you do kind of point out the one biggest impediment is uh, in two things. In most cases, it's sort of a hands-on experience, um, uh, wet glove, they call it. And then, the, um, you know, the other thing is to really be sure in most cases you need a radiograph, and we're still not quite there where you can do that over FaceTime. You know, I have to admit, I don't like going to the dentist. I never have liked going to the dentist, and I know I'm supposed to go. And so I, I do, although not as often as I'm supposed to. Maybe once a year for a cleaning or something. You're supposed to go twice a year or three times a year. Um, but do you see that many of your patients? There's just sign of this hesitancy. Yeah, they really don't want to go to the dentist, but they know they have to do it. Am I unique out here or other people? Am I in the same boat as other people, I guess? Uh, well, John, you may be unique for a number of different reasons, but in that case, <laughs> that's probably not one of them. I mean, I, I will say that what you're pointing out is, you know, not everyone is rushing to go to the dentist. It's not their, you know, most favorite experience. I think most dentists will will say that, you know, if you follow a preventive routine, then you can go to the dentist without the same sort of uh, trepidation. But it does point out also that in, you know, the medical. Uh, community, there are a bunch of other barriers. So you may not want to go, but then there's also issues of, you know, timing and convenience and transportation. Um, and that's one of the reasons that for us, we've spent so much energy and focus on community outreach and education. Uh, and that's frankly something the program has kind of, uh, you know, come to over time, but we've focused it on it um, at the local level. 
You know, you mentioned uh, the idea of using uh, telemedicine on rural communities. Where is the biggest challenge? Are, are you having a bigger challenge in inner cities, which are maybe overloaded with patients and can't get enough dentists? Or do you have more of a problem in sort of the remote areas of the state? Where, where do you see access being the biggest issue? Yeah, I mean, I think typically uh, access has been more of a problem in the less populated areas and the rural areas. I also will say that, you know, it is expensive to build a dental office. And so if you're not necessarily going to have a flow of patients in those areas, those are difficult, which is why we've um, and others have tried to figure out uh, alternative ways to reach those populations. Um, it is not as simple to operate like, say, a mobile van or, you know, um, a, a trailer as you think it might be. Uh, so that's the bigger challenge. I think one of the challenges we face historically that has been addressed is that even in the urban areas, you may have a lot of dentists, but many of those dentists are focusing on the commercial patients and less so on Medi-Cal patients. Um, and I think, you know, the improvements in the Medi-Cal program have address that. So we see more and more providers participating in the program. Is there dental, um, talking about commercial customers, but is there dental insurance out there that is, a, is actually insurance? I know there's, a, there, there's a dental programs out there and funding out there, uh, but it has a cap on it uh, for a year's use. It's not really insurance. It's sort of a cash benefit from a from union collective bargaining for example they have those some companies offer that is there actual insurance out there where you pay a monthly premium and you are assured of, of care there there is and i think most employer-based uh, programs include a dental benefit but you are sort of highlighting this very distinct difference between medical insurance and dental insurance and you know i'm not familiar with very many dental insurance plans that provide kind of an unlimited cap per year in terms of expenses. And so that's a big challenge because if you need significant, you know, work done for what, whatever reason, there is going to be uh, an out-of-pocket uh, component to that payment. You point something out that is interesting that there is dental care and there's medical care. And in some ways, it seems absurd that those are separated. Do you know, is there any move to sort of fold this into a more of a holistic approach where dental hair care would just be plugged in with, with other medical care? Yeah, At least first in of California, all, I should say. Yeah, first of all, I agree with you. It, it does seem a bit absurd. Uh, folks in the industry, and there's a bunch of reasons for this, uh, always refer to uh, you know, needing to put the mouth back into the body because there are these, <laughs> you know, these two segments that seem to work in parallel when in fact, uh, you know, proper uh, oral preventive care is so important to a bunch of other, uh, you know, health states. And there's, there's linkages to heart disease and stroke risk and diabetes management. I mean, all those things play together. Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. Yeah. Yeah. So there is activity on that. So uh, let me update you a little bit. First of all, just quickly, um, you know, our model has been to provide sort of a dental home for the patient, patients that come to see us. And what we really mean by that is no matter what your need, we have the provider that can take care of that. So not only do we have general dentists, but we have specialists, we have oral surgeons and endodontists and pedodontists, all that thing. So within dental, we've tried to create that integrated care model, but then kind of reaching across to physical health. Um, you both are familiar with CalAIM, 
<clears throat> and I think the, the, you know, the movement for Cal aim to improve and experiment with the Medi-Cal program, all of that is fundamentally based on whole person care. And I think first up, and you guys may have already had a podcast on this is behavioral health uh, and the integration of sort of physical health and behavioral health. And we're fully supportive of that, but uh, hopefully right there in the on deck circle is oral health. And there have already been some uh, some conversations, I'm sorry about that. We're participating in a whole care uh, pilot in the County of San Mateo, where the health plan of San Mateo is responsible for both physical health and also the oral health piece. Um, a key piece of this that you guys probably can appreciate is, you know, being able to have systems that can talk to each other so that if I'm a parent that walks in to a pediatrician visit with my child, that pediatrician knows that, oh, I have not been, this uh, child hasn't been to the dentist in three years. And there can be some communication about that. I think that that will be critical. Um, so that's for sure on the horizon. You mentioned earlier about the reimbursement rates have improved. At, at one point we were 49 and I saw, I saw some material on, before talking to you, I saw some material on the website that had us at 47th, I think it was, very low compared to the other states. Do you have any uh, estimate of what it is now? Yeah, to be, to be fair, I think some of those numbers, um, you know, Prop 56 and the reimbursements were, um, were provided for separately than the base rate. So, you know, sometimes calculating those numbers is not as accurate. We've made huge strides. We're, if, if I had to say exactly, we're probably in the, you know, the middle of the pack as opposed to the, the bottom of the pack. Um, what I would say, though, just to sort of highlight is that, you know, there isn't, you know, rates aren't indexed to things like cost of living adjustments. And, you know, we're sitting here right now in an environment of, of really high inflation, um, cost pressures, wage pressures, you know, the supply chain disruptions of the last couple of years has increased the rate, uh, the, the cost of supplies. So we're sort of not done. I think that this is a, you know, a, a work in progress and something as we um, see future budget cycles, we're not just on the dental side, but on the physical health side as well, we're going to have to keep in mind. You know, the dental lobby in, um, in Sacramento is viewed as, uh, it's not that high profile, at least among the public, but it's very affluent. Uh, it's financially well-managed. I think it's the dental association. I think I'm right when I say this, the dental association, the California dental association actually owns its own high rise building, which I think is unique in in uh, Sacramento. I don't know of any other industry lobby group that owns its own high rise. So sometimes, you know, if the, if the dentists want to plead poverty, I got to think, hey, that building looks pretty good. You guys are doing all right. So I don't know. It has nothing to do with teeth, but I thought I'd point it out anyway. No, well, I, you know, I want to say we've had a fantastic uh, collaborative relationship with the CDA. I think they're, they're one of the more progressive dental associations in the country. And I think one thing you're pointing out, probably not all of their members are necessarily, um, you know, in communities where they're treating large percentages of Medi-Cal, um, you know, patients, but they've spent a lot of time and energy helping to transform the program. In fact, they sponsored a bill this past session uh, that's in the budget um, to create 
clinics that can address uh, a, a very vulnerable population, which is special needs uh, patients yeah. who, uh, you know, they can't be seen in normal office settings. And so now there's been money in the budget set aside for them. So is there any program uh, similar to way the, I think the CMA does it, the doctors do it. They want to have a spread of physicians around the state and not have them concentrated in certain, in certain areas where a lot of the doctors would like to go because the income potential is probably better in LA than maybe in a rural area, for example. Do the, do the dentists have anything similar? Uh, you sort of touched on it with underserved communities. I'm just wondering, is there a program that gives, that provides an incentive to dentists if they locate an Alturas or Inland Empire or Inyo County or something? Yeah, so uh, there are some programs both publicly and uh, privately as um, kind of an outgrowth of Prop 56. There was some loan repayment programs uh, and as part of the loan repayment and uh, loan assistance programs, there was a requirement that you uh, set up your practice in, first of all, dedicate a certain portion of your practice to Medi-Cal and then also be in areas that were uh, historically underserved. And I could say for us, for Western Dental, um, you know, we're in so many of those areas. We, we feel the the pain, if you will, of, of provider recruitment in areas where not everyone is necessarily rushing to, to move to. Um, so there are some things that we do also um, to have providers move to those areas. What's it cost? Any idea what it costs a person to go through dental school, uh, be, become a doctor of dentistry and graduate and then set up, you know, their uh, set up their, their office and their practice? I, the, on the doctor side, uh, a CMA person came up to me one time and said he thought it was about 350000 in terms of all your tuition. And I thought that, and I sort of quailed when I heard that number, but how, what's the equivalent? Uh, yeah, it's, the, not, the, it's, not, it's not much less than that. I mean, obviously that doesn't um, take into account what you would need to put down for capital costs to, to you know, establish your own practice. But in terms of the debt burden, when you come out of school, it's anywhere from 250 to, you know, the low 300s, which wow. is astonishing. <laughs> That's a lot of dough. Um, so I guess one last question. What, what do you see now looking forward? We've, we've come out, we're coming, hopefully we're coming out of the COVID, although that is a disputed notion right now. But going forward, um, if we do get out of the pandemic mode, uh, how, do you see, how do you see dentistry progressing in California as we move ahead? Yeah, so we've made so much progress. So that's encouraging. Um, I think that you're right to focus. There is this kind of return to care moment. We can't lose too much ground, uh, you know, on, on prevention, uh, both with kids and adults. Uh, we're one of the few states that has, you know, such comprehensive benefits for adults. Um, so that's important too. And now we're, as you know, we've expanded uh, the roles. And so, um, you know, Medicaid, Medi-Cal has expanded to cover folks regardless of immigration status. So that's a new uh, set of people that we'll have to focus on in terms of community uh, outreach and education. Uh, and then the other piece, just to, uh, you know, double back, I think Cal AIM, you know, there's this moment for us to do like really extraordinary things with the Medi-Cal program in California. Uh, and Cal AIM sits at the heart of that. Uh, and I think, you know, within the next couple of years, as the behavioral health piece takes hold, I think the oral health piece will really start to play into that whole person care model. Great. Jeff, thank you so much for talking about 
teeth and all things dental. And now it's time for Tim Foster and I to talk about who had the worst week in California politics. The worst week. Worst week. Worst week. Tim, uh, it seems like Katie Hill had a very bad week. Uh, we've all followed in and out her legal issues over the last couple of years. And of course, she's former congresswoman. She has been forced to file for bankruptcy. What do you think? Yeah, this has been an ongoing sad saga for, gosh, I think it's been two, three years at this point. And uh, maybe even longer. And uh, yeah, I don't, frankly, I don't even think this is the end of it. I mean, she declared bankruptcy and she's lost legal proceedings on this revenge porn case. Uh, Just not a good week for her. Yeah, not at all. And uh, her legal fees, I was looking at one story that said they totaled several hundred thousand dollars. Legal fees to her own, on her own side, legal fees to those who had been fighting her in court. And one of the issues with bankruptcy, I just learned, is that if you are if you have successfully declared bankruptcy and it's approved, then you do not have to pay legal fees. That's how I understood the story, which means this declaration would get her out of a whole lot of, uh, whole lot of debt, a lot of legal worry. The, the uh, details of the case we've talked about many times. It's a, like you said, it's a sad saga indeed. And this was a rising political star who, because of her own actions and some and personal decisions she had made, got really caught up in a lot of scandal, which included having some nude photos of her posted by her former partner. So I, it doesn't get worse than this and sadder for a political operative, I think. Yeah, you know, um, what's the old saying behind every great man is a strong woman. I think we can add a codicil uh, behind every woman who's having a lot of problems. You'll find a a jerk. (laughs) In this case, her ex-husband, I think he's ex-husband now, seems like a real, uh, let's just say a real jerk. Yeah, there you go. Tim Foster, thank you so much. Uh, This is John Howard saying we will talk to you next time around. And thanks for listening. Take care. Thanks, John. The Capital Weekly Podcast is produced by Tim Foster for Open California. If you enjoyed today's episode, we hope you'll go onto iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a positive review. Thanks a lot, and we'll see you next week. The Capital Weekly Podcast is supported by TASSEN, the Tribal Alliance of Sovereign Indian Nations.